Todd Toddy, and today we're going to talk about uh, Karl Barth and uh, the Analogia Entus, the Analogia Fide, and uh, particularly uh, Barth's engagement with uh, Eric Chavara. Um, but before we do that, uh, let's kind of set the scene a little bit, and John, you help me here, jump in as you want. But this conversation, you know, it, it, it may be, a, it, for some people, a kind of technical and abstract. But actually, it turns out, you know, if you, that if you set the scene that Karl Barth is, of course, many would say the premier theologian, the key theologian of the 20th century. And Barth is important not just because of a kind of abstract, uh, theological understanding, but it's actually uh, Karl Barth in conjunction with the Confessing Church in Nazi Germany that uh, then proposes a theology that I think then is going to stand up against uh, a, a theological understanding that in Barth's mind and many people's mind is directly responsible for the Holocaust, for the evils of the 20th century. Um, that is that in some way the church went wrong, which, uh, and Bart is going to claim that. And of course he's um, particularly picking on Protestant liberalism. That he is trained as a Protestant liberal. Uh, he, he is, I guess he would call himself as a young man a Protestant. Mm -hmm liberal and what is meant by what the key thing here in Protestant liberalism is probably the idea that uh, you can uh, understand who God is or in fact our understanding of who God is is uh, available to us just from uh, the fact of our humanity. Yes or and so um when this enters into the debate over the Analogia Entus with Eric Shavara, actually Shavara's project is very similar to Karl Barth's in that he looks at World War I and he sees the, a double problem there, being a Roman Catholic, sees that the Protestant liberals cannot stand up to evil because essentially their Christianity is nothing more than just a German ethic, uh, you know, German culture, high culture. But at the same time, he sees the Catholic Church as sort of being removed from the world at this time. So what I've noticed and what I'm afraid of is too often we overlap with the analogia entus and just imagine that's the same thing as what Bart is seeing in liberal Protestantism. But actually, both Bart and Shavara are attacking the same set of problems. How does World War I come about in a country like Germany? And, uh, you know, specifically it was Bart's professors that uh, all then line up in favor of who was the, uh, uh, you know, the... the uh, Kaiser Wilhelm. Yeah. The yeah, Adolf von Harnack actually drafts a document, uh, a manifesto of German intellectuals supporting the Kaiser's war. And Bart later on in his life says it was a dark day in August of 1914, when I read this document and to my horror saw many of the names of my theology professors on, signed on the bottom of the piece of paper. And of course, 
it is a kind of uh, you know the the it is a, a preparation for and a pointer to it, uh, what re seems to repeat itself in World War II, the rise of National Socialism, maybe a direct product of rule, World War I. And of course, this time, Barth and his students, and I would include, even though Bonhoeffer never directly studied uh, with Barth, I would count Bonhoeffer a student of Barth and one who is going to take his theology. Uh, along with the uh, the confessing church, and here is then a resistant force within Christianity to what most would recognize as the premier embodiment of evil, perhaps in all of human history. Uh, that was very much intermixed then with with the problems the Bard is already identifying uh, in uh, uh, the beginnings of World War One. So, yeah. So one way of looking at Bart's progression there, I guess, is you know, early on he makes the statement, God is God. He's reading Luther, he's reading Calvin, and I, I think where Bart starts with that is sort of a Lutheran nominalism. God is God, we can't say anything about God. Uh, we just have a creaturely understanding. We don't have a divine understanding of God, so we might understand Jesus as a creature, but even uh, God and the Trinity will still remain a mystery to us. I think Bart's much better than that as his theology develops, but that's his first answer or response to World War I and Protestant liberalism is that they are defining God based upon who they are rather than based upon who God has revealed himself to be, which oddly enough is a critique that Shavara will also raise, albeit in a different uh, way. So that, that uh, you could identify the problem on both hands is that either there, and, and I, I think Chavara and Bart both do this, that, uh, that either God is absorbed into the world and just made part of a human understanding, or God is made absolutely transcendent. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that, in fact, those are necessarily opposites, that... Uh, you know that what you often end up with is is a kind of uh, combination, but but obviously, uh, you know the the idea from the beginnings of uh, a kind of scholastic understanding, in which mysticism is ironically, uh, I think, directly connected to rationalism. So, but that's a topic for a, another time, perhaps. Uh, so that, uh, so Bart's statement, you know, he uh, has the uh, the meetings with Chavara. He meets Eric Chavara. Uh, and so part of the problem, part of the accusation that is made against Bart, and I think it is a misunderstanding, is that Karl Bart, when he said that the Analogi Entis uh, is the Antichrist, uh, that some would say, oh, he didn't, uh, he doesn't understand, or uh, he's saying this on a on a very scant understanding of Chavara's doctrine. Uh, maybe we should break down a little bit, John. What, uh, first of all, the the analogy entus. What? How does? How is that functioning? And why would Bart say that? Well, um, actually, to start with your first point. 
I think I'm at least in the camp of saying Bart early on has he's mixing two categories in Catholic theology. And why I would say this is there's these two readings of Karl Barth. One begins with Balthazar, who is, of course, a friend of Karl Barth and working with him and reading through the dogmatics with Karl Barth. So there's as much of a direct encounter and a relationship there uh, theologically that, that Balthazar probably has a pretty good case for what he's saying about Barth's misinterpretation of the Analogiantis. On the other hand, you have Bruce McCormick, who is a Reformed theologian and a self-proclaimed Bartian, saying, well, no, of course Bart understood it and rejected it for all the right reasons, but realize those reasons themselves are very, those are probably more ultra-Reformed reasons than Bart himself would have had. So the issue with the Analogia Entis for Bart is, does this simply duplicate the type of natural theology that is present in Protestant liberalism? I think the answer to that has to be no, but that doesn't mean Bart has a complete misunderstanding because this is what Keith Johnson does so well in his, a book that he writes, Karl Barth and the Analogia Entis, and also in an article. He documents the fact that Bart and Shavara actually meet. Bart has Shavara teach in his seminar in 1929, and this, of course, is before saying the Analogiantis is the invention of the Antichrist. And uh, they get on really well, and it's only after that encounter that Bart makes these statements. Uh, so the question that is being raised is, does Bart change his mind? So does he uh, progress theologically and then change his mind about the Analogiantis? Some people have offered evidence for that. However, there's also just as much evidence saying, no, Bart never changes his mind based on statements he himself makes in the 1950s. Uh, but perhaps he certainly isn't as opposed to the Analogiantis, and he does make it his own turn to analogy, mm. which Balthazar, of course, tracks. So I, what the Analogiantis is, at least for Shavara, is a term picked up from uh, sort of the beginnings of modernity or the late medieval period from Caetan. And the way Caetan's using the phrase is just a technical way of talking about church orders in relationship to the mother church. So it's a way of speaking about analogy, analogically speaking about how things relate and do not relate. How are things similar and dissimilar? Shavara picks that up and through applying the theology of Thomas Aquinas, wants to uh, formulate a metaphysics that will allow him to describe God's relationship to the world without, one, either collapsing God into the world, which would be the problem with uh, Protestant liberalism, or, two, simply making uh, God so transcendent that we cannot know him or cannot participate with him, can't say anything about him. And I think in the beginning, uh, Shavara actually based off of readings of Bart's Romans commentary, is saying Bart is making that second mistake. There's sort of a, an equivocity in Bart. And this would be Lutheran nominalism. That yeah. God is God, meaning even with Christ, God remains hidden to us. Uh -huh. Bart definitely comes out strong against that. But notably, Bart at least will move off of that position. I think everybody would agree. So... I'm not for sure where Bart really lands on the Analogiantis. That debate is still going on. But I think it is possible to say 
Bart's theology matures, and it, Bart at least is not a Lutheran nominalist. And so uh, should Bart reject the Analogiantus at the end of his theological career is the question that uh, I would answer, no, he probably shouldn't have. I think Balthazar is right that he is using a type of Analogiantus in his own work. Well, and, and of course here maybe we need a, a little bit of refinement in the terms because the, the very meaning of the term seems to change up. So the, the danger here is that, and this is what Johnson is pointing out, the danger is that you may uh, in fact have Bart two different periods uh, agreeing and disagreeing with the Antologiantus, but the very meaning of the term has evolved at least according to what Johnson is saying, that Catholics and Balthazar and uh, Chavara even, that after Chavara goes to, uh, you know, Bart's seminar and later, uh, that he himself is going to take into account what Bart has said and uh, that, who is it, Henri de Lubac talks about, that there develops then an understanding within Catholic theology and Bart will notice this too. He said, well, you know, what you are saying, I, uh, I'm i agreeing with now, but what you're saying is what, uh, you never said that until you heard me saying it. Yeah. Uh, the way that Johnson presents that, of course, is that uh, the Antologiantus is not the way that uh, people like Shavar Balthazar are using it, is not the way that Catholic theology functions. But Johnson, that's a weak point, considering the fact that most Catholic theology isn't even using the phrase or the term or the understanding that Shavara is working out, that De Lubach is working out, that Balthazar is working out. Uh, during this period, these people are heavily censured, uh, and their work is, of course, not accepted generally by Catholics. And why is that? Well, it's because at the end of the 19th century, instead of reading the patristics, instead of reading Aquinas and Augustine and then the early church fathers in Catholic seminaries, there's a manualist tradition, meaning there are these Catholic uh, manuals on the spiritual fathers, and these come out of sort of the late medieval period and even post-Reformation period in which Catholic theology is saying something that Balthazar and de Lubach and Shavara will disagree with. And maybe, maybe we could pause here a minute yeah. and describe that, because I think you almost have to get a feeling for uh, what none of them want to. Yes. The, the, yes. the idea of a university of being. Uh, a and pure maybe, yeah, the, or even the idea, I mean, the, the, the crude way of putting this would, would be to talk about, uh, you know, the being of humans and the being of God uh, in some way a shared being so that, uh, you know, and I don't know that, you know, I, I think they're all agreeing that they don't want to, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a kind of crude philosophical understanding, but, and, and, and maybe that, you know, in rejecting that and understanding nobody's talking about that, yeah, but at the same time, that something like that seems to have been the case for a development, uh, both in, in a, uh, 
uh, you know, something like that is what uh, uh, liberals, uh, yes. uh, Protestant liberals, and yeah, it's uh, very much a Lutheran development, even within the Catholic Church. So, uh, at the end of the Middle Ages, you have Scotus, Occam, and these people doing a nominalism. A university of being Luther is a nominalist, and then the Catholic counter reformation picks some of this up so everybody's almost in agreement going into modernity and they are saying well there's the book of nature there's the book of revelation these things are equal if not perhaps that the book of nature or reason even becomes privileged as modernity uh, trudges on and both are ways of accessing divine knowledge so everybody Bart, Balthazar, Shavara, De Lubach are in agreement that that is certainly not the case. And they're reacting to that understanding. And maybe uh, the the that misunderstanding uh, we should we shouldn't in any way under uh, you know underplay that that has had a huge impact. Yes. Uh, in modernity, that the idea of the two the parallel uh, revelations, the book mm-hmm. of and of course, what wins out in modernity is the the uh, book of nature or human reason, mm-hmm. and so uh, that in some way that the the rise of you know the various fascist movements and uh, Marxist movements and uh, that when Mark is saying the uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to identify the roots of national socialism and how Hitler has gained, you know, entree into the church. So we're talking about a, a, a despicable period. Yes, it's uh, uh, That, uh, you know, that, I, so I think you need to stay, say clear, clearly, here's this crude understanding, but probably the crude understanding is the majority understanding. Oh, definitely. It was pervasive, uh, certainly in the Catholic Church and in the Protestant churches of Europe. And who, you know, who to blame? I don't know that that we need to blame anybody. You know, uh, certainly we can say, oh, that's not true to, you know, Aquinas. And, uh, you know, we can blame Duns Scotus or Suarez. Yeah, it's certainly developing. Yeah. But the point is that there is this abhorrent understanding that I'm afraid we still live with yeah. in a in the, the theological scene in the United States that the crudities that led to uh, you know the, the tragic consequences of the 20th century seem to be repeating themselves in this country. Uh, with the crude notions of, you know, the the, the sort of blunt uh, theology that you get in this country. Yeah, you're right. So in either case, this conversation between Shavara, Balthazar, Bart is one that we have to pass through if we're going to be doing something theologically worthwhile. And we so, don't want to be stuck with modernity. Yeah, in a sense that once you're, once you're in, entering into the the technical aspects of the conversation, we're already doing something that's more refined. Mm-hmm. Every, these guys have, uh, you know, they've all kind of recognized a problem and uh, are, are trying to, to maneuver around it. So in the end, I, you know, whether Bart, you know, Bart's position on this, how it ends up 
or how it develops or how he and the, the yeah. Nouvelle, you know, theology guys. I'm not sure that we need to work all that, that out. I think it's, let's talk about it. But in the end, and I hope this is what we do at the end of this conversation, is that this conversation should take us to a refined understanding in in which uh, there is some clarity on these issues. Uh, yes, and um, the problem that I would see with the way the conversation is being rehashed between people like Stephen Long, John Betts, um, Bruce McCormick, uh, Keith Johnson, is the McCormick-type reading of Bart is actually to fall back into modernity. It's to have not made any progress. And so if we insist and keep insisting that uh, Bart has to refuse and reject the Analogientis and we can't be sympathetic to both positions and realize that both positions may be developing throughout the first half of the 20th century, we will simply fall back into a type of nominalism which says the world does not participate in God because of a reformed notion of sin. And, uh, and, and am I right then that McCormick would give us a strong reformed reading of Bart that then just, uh, in fact, is seems to be crude Bart yes. and not a, not a true reading, uh, and that that reading of Bart is pervasive in this country. Yes, and so I, while I think that uh, Keith Johnson work, Johnson's work is beautiful in outlining the history of the conversation, he is uh, giving us McCormick's reading of Karl Barth. And so where do you go? This, this is a footnote uh, that before we get on, but where do you go to get a true reading of Karl Barth? Well, I, I, that's a really good question because I'm not for sure uh, if Balthazar's reading is the truest or not. It's certainly one that Bart himself approved of, uh, but I do think that Balthazar is sort of a beautiful figure in the 20th century in that he is sympathetic to both positions, and he's trying to mediate both positions so that we go somewhere worthwhile. So he's reading Karl Barth. He wants Catholics to read Karl Barth. He thinks that Barth adds to the conversation and that Barth can help um, move Christianity into a place where we can speak about God's relationship to the world in a way that impacts us as Christians. It's orthodox. It's in line with the historical church, the early church, and so on. He also thinks Shavara is doing that. And so he would like to use uh, both Shavara's Analogientis, which is, of course, the title of his large book on the subject, and Bart's Dogmatics, beginning in probably volume two, one, and on, to further this conversation of how does theology function and work after modernity in a time in which we have to figure out once again what does it mean to be Christians in a world where Christians have just waged the bloodiest war in the history of the world. Yeah, to put it in uh, good Zizakian terms, they all turned out to be perverts. Yes, Uh, pretty much And so the Christianity that you have in the 20th century didn't amount to much. Uh, that's a Not early on, anyway. Huh? <laughs> I guess we might say that's the 19th century Christianity hanging on. But. Yeah, yeah. And in as much as we have a continuation of 19th century Christianity in this country, I mean, it's 
I don't, I'm surrounded by it here, uh, you know, that, that there is a kind of uh, numb ignorance that you get that just, just knowing about uh, history outside of, uh, you know, the, the, the United States might help to, to begin mm -hmm. with. But so, so uh, the conversation itself that is being had by Chavara and Bart and Balthazar is perhaps uh, a key conversation that is sometimes hard to follow, you know, who's, who's, yes. uh, and so that, let's get back then. My understanding is though, that with Balthazar, we're actually coming into a kind of uh, uh, understanding of Karl Barth that is the mature Barth. Yes. Yeah, and uh, for Balthazar, the mature Barth begins towards the beginning of the church dogmatics. And uh, just chronicling Karl Barth's life, we realize actually he has written so much before the church dogmatics that really, even though we're talking about uh, probably over a million words, uh, of writing that is the mature part. Now, volume one and volume uh, volume one is still making this transition to Bart's use of analogy. Uh, and and they, you know the the word analogy is a fairly harmless word. That the you know I, I don't I think everybody must believe in analogy of some sort. One would hope so. <laughs> yeah, but but the problem is not analogy per se, but the problem is the analogy of being as Bart understood Chavara to be talking about it. And my, or Johnson's idea is that that understanding is one that Bart rejected and he always rejected. Yes, that's the point that he's making. Uh, and my fear is that actually Johnson has Bart rejecting the Analogientis on reformed principles. So Johnson says that, uh, you know, Bart saw in Chavara's Analogia Entis the notion that creatures participate in God's being uh, and that the grace in Christ is a perfection of creation. Well, that's actually how the early church views God's work or the divine economy. God creates and then there is sin, and sin is a huge problem for us. We are completely alienated from God. We see the world distorted, but we still are God's creation. Sin doesn't have the power necessarily to destroy God's plan, so it's not a plan A, plan B. But, of course, uh, you know, for a Reformed theologian, you're looking at sin and saying, this is the big thing. And so perhaps even before creation, people are already divvied up into these two categories, uh, those that are in the elect and those that are in the condemned. And the question then centers around what is Bart doing with the election? Because of course, Bart is doing something that isn't traditional and whether he comes out ultra reformed or uh, not really reformed at all on his doctrine of the election is where the debate begins, at least the present day debate over how to read Karl Bart. So is Bart's doctrine of the Trinity defined by God's election. And that, that's Bruce McCormick's reading, which would essentially say sin is such a problem that no, there is absolutely no participation because of sin between human beings, human knowledge, truth, goodness, virtue, and those qualities that are attributes of God. However, if as Balthazar reads Bart, it's vice versa. 
that Bard is allowing his understanding of the Trinity to define election, which would actually be much more in line with uh, patristic understandings, that who God is as Trinity, he gives himself in the economic Trinity, both in creation and in salvation, but those two things aren't separate. They're actually uh, all on a continuum of where, as Irenaeus says, God creates us immature and then Christ brings us to maturity. And of course, also what Christ is doing is to overcome our sin problem so that we can be perfected as God's creation. But sin then is a distortion, it's a deception, it's not actually something that destroys God's creative purpose or even controls God's creative purpose. And I think that's where the debate begins. So there's the Reformed reading, then there's the Balthazarian reading, I guess we could say, and you have both of those hanging on today, presently. And maybe, maybe that we're, we can jump to the, you know, the, the conclusion in this is that um, if uh, it, the, the, the difference between a Catholic and Protestant reading, as Johnson is laying it out then, is that in a Catholic understanding, the, uh, you, you begin with creation and then move from creation to justification. Uh, and that in Bart's understanding, you reverse that. According to him. Yeah, according to McCormick. So, which would make Bart sort of an ultra-Calvinist. Uh, run that down. How do you mean? So, if what Bart is, and that's what I was referencing earlier with Bart's understanding of the Trinity, if Bart, according to McCormick and those of the Reformed camp, is saying, actually, the main point about God, or revelation, it's all wrapped up in the election, in terms of there are sinners devoid of knowledge of God, always devoid of knowledge of God. There are the elect who, through Christ, have a knowledge of God. You've just radicalized Calvin's position. But if vice versa, what Bart is saying, and this is what Balth- how Balthazar reads Bart, and uh, Steve Long and John Betts and others, is that, no, in God has elected Christ, but this is from eternity as Trinity. So we don't start with a Christocentric reading of everything. We might have a Christocentric reading of Scripture, but that's really a Christological reading of the move from creation to redemption. And the distinction there would be, is it Christocentric in the sense that we have to begin with the work of the cross, or is actually the work of the cross already included in the work of creation? And that's certainly what the early church is saying. Uh, So I'm more in line to go with them, that creation is always looking towards a fulfillment in some type of incarnation or God perfecting creation through the Son of God. Well, that's a Christological position, though it might not be a radically reformed, Christocentric, uh, Lutheran, Calvinistic type position. This, uh, how would this compare to somebody, uh, you know, like the uh, in a uh, um, uh, Eastern Orthodox understanding, somebody like John Bear, who would say the cross is an eternal fact about God? Yeah. So he, John Bear, is certainly. Uh, going to go with Irenaeus. Another book that I'm reading right now actually is John Barris published in in an Oxford series on the patristics, a book on Irenaeus. And his point is that 
there really isn't two divine economies, an economy of salvation and an economy of creation. But actually, it's the one arcing economy of God that we have played out from creation through uh, salvation, through the cross, and then on to the consummation of all things. So Irenaeus uh, doesn't see God's creation as damaged or anything like that through the fall. Rather, we've simply been deceived into being rebellious against God. However, God's action through time, God's temporal action, is moving us from a place of we were created always to have our fulfillment or proper end in a complete and full relationship with God that's not present there in creation, but that, of course, is the purpose of creation. The way this manifests, interestingly, in Bart and Shavara and Balthazar's conversation is Balthazar will say that Bart has misunderstood the problem with Roman Catholicism. Bart is picking on the potential for obedience that's in Shavara's work that we're sort of open upward for God to work in our lives or just by definition of being created, we have our proper end in God. When actually, uh, that's what the early church believed, that's what the patristics believe, and you can put that together if you talk about one divine economy. And Balthazar will say the real error in Catholic teaching, and this is what he would like to use Bart's work to critique, is the doctrine of pure nature, meaning that through being created, we come to know God. And see, those are two very different things, to say that being created is God's grace to us, and that grace is perfected in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, cross and resurrection, is not the same thing as saying, by virtue of being created, we already have access to a full grace. And those are that's the distinction that somebody like Balthazar is able to make. And that distinction just seems to be lost on uh, Bruce McCormick or Keith Johnson. They just don't, they're not putting that together in that and I think it's because they themselves, uh, as Reformed theologians, will actually have, by nature of being uh, Calvinist, uh, Calvinistic anyway, I don't know how uh, radical they are, they have real objections to the Entis, but those objections are objections to the historic Christian position as well. Mm-hmm. Well, in, uh, in Johnson's paper, the way that, uh, you know, he, he is... Uh, saying that Bart and his students object to Chavara is then uh, the the prime objection arises with the doctrine of sin. That in Chavara's original presentation, uh, he he doesn't give an account of how sin has, uh, uh, you know, for for what as a reform understanding has completely cut them off cut off human access to God. Um, and so it seems like that, that what, what this comes down to is, in fact, a, an understanding of sin that you get in a Reformed tradition is a kind of total depravity. Yes. Uh, a complete, you know, separation. And that creates problems that Bart himself, you know, yeah, uh, seems to struggle with. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I believe Calvin is cited the most in the church dogmatics, and then Luther is a quick second. 
out of anybody but Bart Sykes. Uh, and so Bart's always working through those issues. And though people will distinguish between, okay, Calvin holds a position of total depravity and Luther does not, Luther in his Heidelberg Disputations uh, says, you know, we can't choose good. If we happen to do good, it's by an accident. So virtue, goodness, godliness, these things that we might think we see in the world actually have nothing to do with God. There's no similarity. That type of nominalism is what Shavara is trying to overcome. So he's very clear. He doesn't think a philosophical knowledge or a natural knowledge about God is complete. Actually, it's in more dissimilarity than similarity to the true uh, Trinitarian God. But we can still, as Christians, reflect upon that knowledge and say some of it is true, or at least in some proportionate way there is truth there in philosophy. As theologians, we can read and engage the world through philosophy. Philosophy is not simply a dead end. Or just by reflecting on who we are as human beings, that's not a complete dead-end project. It may be a distorted project. It may be a misdirected project. And those are the types of things that Shavara says. For a reformed understanding of sin, that just isn't radical enough. And I think that is always the uh, critique that's going to remain. No, if you're truly committed to being to a, a reformed theology, the analogia entus will always remain the invention of the Antichrist. But the other question we might ask, is the Analogia Entis actually the early Christian understanding of how uh, we as Christians participate with God and God's relationship to the world? Um, and, and, of course, the term is uh, we're, we're, we're reading something back, but you're saying that, there, that it does capture an understanding that was there? Is that the yeah, there is the regula fide, there is, uh, which is the rule of faith in Irenaeus. There is an, an analogia fide in the early church. There are these ideas that are already there, and they're very aware that the concept of analogy is a Greek philosophical term. But analogy is first used, I think, by Aristotle in the Poetics, so he's not even using or developing analogy as necessarily a metaphysical term to begin with. And that's something that comes later. And so it's a concept that can be built on. And just because, yes, it is present in Aristotle doesn't mean that's all that somebody like Shavara is doing. He's actually doing something that's distinctly Christian. Uh, then, But uh, how about the critique that, uh, you know, it, taken the, the Reformed critique, uh, of Chavara that he doesn't deal with sin perhaps is an extreme one. Uh, is there still that problem, especially in the Chavara that Bart meets in the seminar? And that's a good question. Uh, I'm inclined to say no, but it may be a no from ignorance. Simply, we don't have much of Chavara's work translated into English. And so as far as chronologically speaking, the analog entus that book that he's going through or discussing with uh, Bart and others, I believe it's actually published after the conversations with Bart. It's the last thing that we have. It's also really the only thing that's been translated in recent history. So if you're lucky, you can find another work that was translated, I believe, in the 1920s uh, by a, a British theologian. 
is there a difference between the two works? Well, I have complete ignorance. I simply don't know. I do know that in the Analogiensis, it's been recently translated, uh, and Balthazar will say this, well, there's nothing of that ogre <laughs> that Bart seems to see in Shavara's work. It's simply not there. So uh, Bart very much, all of his critiques fit against a doctrine of pure nature. They don't really fit uh, against what Shavara is doing in a, the obedience potency and somebody like De Lubach that's being developed, they just don't hold up because in the end, Bart's project is a project not unlike what the New Vale theologians are doing. Uh, then you uh, are you saying that Johnson has also misunderstood or has he gotten it right? Uh, that when Bart then talks about a, uh, a the understanding that uh, the other way that, that you would get this in, in John Bear, you know, that the cross is an eternal fact about God or that, uh, you know, redemption precedes creation in what you're prioritizing. You don't understand creation as uh, uh, foundational to redemption, but vice versa. Has Bart arrived then at an understanding that is, or is he still... You're saying that the Reformed under, uh, picture here is a false understanding of Bart. Well, I, I'm saying it's a false picture theologically. Now, uh, it's hard, and this is Steve Long's point in his article. Well, you can actually read Bart both ways. Right, right. <laughs> so Bart is just so difficult uh, and you know so lengthy and so wordy that you can read what you want to into it. If we follow Balthazar, then no Bart, even though he hadn't really admitted it, or maybe he, he wasn't aware of how similar what he was doing. I don't know. We all you know, fall into those types of traps to imagine that we're saying something different than everybody else. I, I'm not for sure what, which way is the correct way to read Bart. Bart is certainly usable, though. He's not. I think everybody should agree that Bart is better than just another nominalistic reformed theologian. Uh, so there's bits and pieces, if not all of Bart, that are much better than that, or there's just the bits and pieces. And that, that I suppose, would, is the criticism that Bart himself may have come to see about his own theology, is that, you know, the idea that it, it does create a kind of ghetto and isolation, uh, that you've got a word from God, but if it doesn't intersect with... Uh, you know, creation in some way, then it amounts to nothing. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so you think, and, and uh, whether he, uh, I mean, his awareness of that seems to indicate he escapes that to a degree, but maybe that in the end does mar his theological understanding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of essays that are later. The church dogmatics, of course, are left unfinished. I think even Keith Johnson in the article that he writes there notes that Kenneth Oakes, who uh, is reading Bart sympathetically along the lines of Balthazar, says, well, yeah, but the later Bart really kind of overcomes all of these issues. And that may be true. So Johnson's, Johnson is just wanting to say, well, actually, no, just because the later Bart may be saying something different. Bart really did understand what he was arguing against, and he really was right on this. But if you're a Reformed theologian, you have to say that because you have serious qualms with analogy and But if 
uh, you can get past that and see that actually it's quite useful for the- doing theology, then uh, there's really no problem with saying, well, yeah, Bart said this, he moved past it, he doesn't really continue to make that point over and over, he gets on with his theological project. So I guess in the end that what it comes down to is the, that uh, uh, a de- definition of sin and how is sin impacting our understanding of who God is. That mm-hmm. uh, in uh, with Bart, you know, a reformed understanding that a kind of total darkness, blackness. Uh, but isn't it a bit on the other side? The accusation that Bart is making against uh, uh, Chavara and uh, is that in fact it's sort of sin light uh, in in their understanding. Yeah, I would actually, I would disagree with that, um, mainly because, and John Betts does a good job of working this out of Shavara, and he's the translator of the Analogientis also, by the way. So, uh, you know, Shavara is never claiming that there's a complete or a salvific knowledge in the natural world or by reflecting on human beings or in philosophy. Shavara is actually pretty straightforward in saying, well, just, you know, left unperfected, uh, that's still idolatry. So he'll call Aristotle's God an idol if that's where you land, if that's if you never uh, progress beyond that. But there is a conversation to be had between uh, philosophy and theology that is useful apart from theology. And actually for Shavara specifically, apart from being in the church, in the life of the church, that doesn't cohere into a saving knowledge or a knowledge that is really really can be said to be the revelation of God perfecting grace, overcoming sin and death. And, uh, you know, it's kind of shocking almost after we I re, have read these Reformed critiques of the Analogantis of the New Vale theology to realize, no, the New Vale theology and Shavara and Balthazar and even, you know, somebody like Bernard Lonergan, these 20th century Catholics, actually very orthodox in terms with lining them up with early church fathers. They're not trying to do something uh, completely original and unhinged from the theological tradition that they've received. And maybe uh, is it the case then that uh, they're a return to a kind of uh, orthodoxy in Catholicism, though, is not removed from the impact with Karl Barth? And that is probably true. So it is interesting that all of this is happening at once. So you have Karl Barth, who is labeled, at least in the English-speaking world, as doing neo-orthodoxy. And uh, the New Vale theology just means a second look, (laughs) and it's a second look back at the patristics. Uh So there is this move happening simultaneously in uh, Catholic theology and Protestant theology, and some Protestant theology. So in uh, the, the, your description there of Chavara's picture of sin is sort of interesting, and that is that, that a, uh, the notion of a philosophical understanding that, in fact, whatever that understanding is, that removed from its completion in Christ, is uh, idolatrous. Yeah, it falls short completely. But not just that it's falling short, but type by taking what's falling short and absolutizing it, saying, "Oh well, we've got the we've got the uh, uh, something on the order of the being of God here." 
is in fact just as damaging or damning as uh, you know that 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 is a kind of idolatrous uh, understanding. Yeah, it's a distortion of what God has done that, if held on to, uh, actually encumbers us from coming to the truth. That's the Apostle Paul. Right. That uh, we, God we, makes foolish the wisdom of this world. So, uh, yeah, you might be able, you can have a conversation about the wisdom of this world, even one where theology is reflecting upon that wisdom and saying, oh, yeah, there's something here. But uh, God actually will render that wisdom taken to its fullest extent, reified, as sort of a nothing. So it is the uh, that, yeah, you know, we're almost back with the radical Orthodox guys here in their picture yes. of of what the problem is and the problem of course they're they're limiting it or at least seem to limit it cunningham seems to limit it to modernity uh but if you just understand that that his definition of nihilism that you take what is nothing and make it an absolute something Mm -hmm. is not just the modernist predicament it's the human predicament it's the predicament in the garden that is the sin predicament and so there, you almost, you, you have an understanding of sin then, uh, that uh, there is the, the possibility of taking the creation and apprehending it. It's not that there's a failure to, to be able to access creation, but the idea is to take the creature as the creator. Yes, which would be essentially, uh, you know, in... Shavara's definition or Balthazar's definition, that is to rebel against God's grace because his grace is that we are creatures. We have been created. To uh, deny that we have been created or to try to attain life in and of ourselves is to really work against that grace. And, of course, that's the crude reading of the Entus that uh, that the being of the world gives us the being of God. Yes. Yeah. That little b gives us big b. Uh, that our uh, attaining of God in a human thought will then tend to reduce God to that human thought. Yes, which is actually just the neo-scholastic Catholicism that Shavara is reacting against. Is it simply neo-scholasticism? Well, of course, it's a lot more, but that's what he particularly is right. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, in in the end, uh, the the there is an identity with the Analogantus, with the Antichrist, maybe in as much as some were guilty of, in fact, doing that with you know in a both a Catholic and uh, a Protestant understanding, uh, that the identity of the Analogantus with the Antichrist in a received understanding of what that meant may have been accurate. Well, actually, uh, nobody but Shavara would have been using the language of Analogantus. So that's not a term that the neo-scholastics are using. So when, when Bart is, is describing that, though, he's not just referencing Chavara, is he? Well, that's, and so that's where the misunderstanding comes in. He's reading Chavara in the wrong context. 
So he's reading Shavara in the context of, uh, at that point in time, Catholicism's stance on the doctrine of pure nature. So uh, when, uh, for example, with Duns Scotus, with the university of being, how does that get expressed? Uh, what do you mean exactly? In other words, that, that, that the idea that there is a university, that we can go from the being of the world to the being of God, uh, and that seems to be guilty of precisely what Barth is saying is true of the Analogantus. Yeah, which, of course, uh, that's just to mix things up. Um, and the university of being is really describing a theological language, but that predates even the term analogantus being used widely in the... So Duns Scotus predates Cardinal Caetan, and that phrase analogantus isn't really in Thomas Aquinas' works either. So the way that history works out is that Scotus, as far as Occam, they're doing something that they see is at least in part uh, a piece of the inheritance from Thomas Aquinas. And that turns into what is known as neo-scholasticism. Uh, the university of being meaning, of course, that we can use language univocally of uh, creaturely understanding and apply it directly to an understanding of the divine. Analogy is actually used to say the complete opposite. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. I mean, so analogy doesn't fit with that understanding at all. It's a, an analogical understanding of language, which is in Thomas Aquinas, he does, he talks about analogy and defines different types of analogies. Uh, of course, that's, he actually has a conversation. Is our language, is our theological language univocal, equivocal, or analogical? That's in Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and at the end of that conversation, he's saying, well, it's analogical, and that means it's not either univocal or equivocal. So the, the and maybe you can trace the history of this, that, You've got the univocal, the university of being. You've got the equivocal with uh, Catholic and Protestant nominalism. And neither of those is a correct understanding of uh, what Aquinas was doing, but, but maybe more importantly, uh, not an accurate description of uh, even the early church. Yes, yeah. So um, the early church you already actually have the principle of analogy in as far back as Irenaeus, but Augustine as well uh, talks about analogy in the same way. And you have analogies. That's what a lot of the early church fathers are offering. Is here's an analogy for understanding the Trinity, or here's an analogy for understanding this. So they're not, uh, none of them are claiming to speak univocally about mm -hmm. God. And they certainly don't think that they can't say anything at all because they're theologians. So, Right, right. It seems we've solved this whole thing. <laughs> well, we at least know where, which direction we want to go. <laughs> uh, and so if, if you had to point us to somebody who you think is engaging this uh, in, in, a, in a positive way with uh, a, a, an insight, where would you point us? There are actually several books. Um, there is a book that is a compilation uh, by Joseph White, and it's called The Analogientus, The Invention of the Antichrist, or The Wisdom of God. 
And there you can read uh, John Betts side-by-side with Bruce McCormick. And so that's a handy book. Steve Long has a book out, Hans Urs von Balthasar's Preoccupation, Saving Karl Barth, something like that. Uh, Saving Karl Barth is, I think, the main title of the book, actually. And it's wonderful in that it details both the history of their friendship, but also gets into their theology. Uh, Balthasar's book, The Theology of Karl Barth, of course, is a classic that encounters a lot of this and then offers a Catholic theology that would be mixing Bart with uh, sort of a Nouvelle type approach. Uh, so there's all those places that, and maybe this conversation is just a good starting place for a way of doing theology and saying that theology needs to engage the world. As Christians, we have something to say, and that's, of course, the project of radical orthodoxy. Well, John, this has great. Uh, glad we could talk. I'm gonna. Uh, uh, I think that we we've, we've come.